0: I love that last song. Whew. All right, so I'm doing the reading this morning. We're in Luke chapter 10. We're reading verses 38 through 42. It's a short little passage. If you're using the Bibles for provided, it's on page 869. Now, as they entered, they went their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? And then he he helped, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her.
1: Thank you, Wendy. I do uh, encourage you to open your copy of the Scriptures, whether it's one you brought with you or one provided for you there, uh, electronic, print, whatever, to Luke 10. So we've been in this grounded series for a few weeks now. And uh, remember, we're talking about how to live a life uh, that's steadfast, secure, that's not drifting without all the winds of culture and pushing us against us. We've talked in different categories of that, and today what we're talking about is how do we do that um, when uh, we're so busy. Dr. Susan Coven, she practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. The Boston Globe had a column in 2013 where she wrote this. She said, In the past few years, I have observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient, suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. Apparently, other than that, they're okay. So um, there are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic or x-ray diagnostics of this condition and yet it's easy to recognize the condition that she says she sees all the time as a medical doctor is excessive busyness excessive busyness. we all live busy lives right i've not met anyone where i've talked to you and said hey how's it going are you busy everyone says they're busy okay and probably it's true right um, we all live busy lives. But if you're one of the few people who are not really busy but want to pretend to be busy, there's even an app for that, apparently, that you can download. And apparently, what it does is that it, it searches out to local events and will put them on your calendar for you. So that if someone asks you, for instance, if you are available to help them move, you can show them, no, I have got a full calendar, right? Okay, all right, this is one of the reasons why I I won't buy a pickup truck, okay? You know, you buy a pickup truck, you gotta help everybody move, okay? All right, so we live busy lives though, even if you have to conjure it up, in fact, most people don't need that app to, to, to say that they're busy. Busyness is actually, in our culture, seen as a badge of honor, right? It's equal to importance in our culture. In fact, according to our current way of thinking in our Western thought, if you're not crazy busy, it must be because you're lazy, right? So the question comes then this morning is how can we live a grounded life, one that's not drifting, one that's steadfast, one that's secure, one that's always abounding in the work of the Lord, like we talked about from 1 Corinthians 15. How can we live that type of life when we... Are just so busy. Right? Today's text is going to help us. And so if I was going to summarize the sermon, uh, here's how I would summarize it, but I'm going to ask you to stick around for the whole thing anyway. All right. All right. Martha and Mary, they reveal the danger of distraction and remind us of the joy of discipleship. I'll say it again. Martha and Mary reveal the danger of distraction and remind us of the joy of discipleship. Let me pause, pray, ask for God's enablement as we look at this text. Father, it's our joy to be together here. We've sung some great songs. God, I pray that we wouldn't have just been repeating words on the screen. Um, I pray that we would want to praise you. Lord, I ask that uh, when we sing those songs, that your spirit would impress the truth that you are worthy of worship are we saying in that last song about how that um, we're going to be with you forevermore if we're believers who here deserves that god well none of us do but yet because of christ we can have that assurance of eternity with you like our brother gene who is with you right now so lord Um, As we look at this text of scripture, God, I pray, I pray that you would guide us. Lord, help me to communicate this in a way that is is helpful, but is accurate to the text. Uh, This is your word. This isn't my word. And so as we we, we communicate for the next few minutes here together, Lord, I pray that uh, I I would be guided by your spirit and that you would keep us free from distraction. At the end of our time together here, that we'd say it's been good to be together. Worshiping you. First in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So I said, Martha and Mary reveal the danger of distraction and remind us of the joy of discipleship. Let's start with Martha here. Let's start with Martha. Martha, as I said, she reveals the danger of distraction. This is a text of scripture. It's only found in Luke, okay? So, you know, a lot of times when you find a story in one of the Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? When you find one of those uh, uh, stories, often they will be in different uh, uh, of the other three Gospels as well. Uh, It's rare for all four of them to have one, although there are a few accounts that appear in all four Gospels, okay? But uh, Luke is the only one that records this conversation with Martha and Mary. I won't go into all the background about who Martha and Mary were. I will say this, though, they pop up a few different times in the Gospel accounts, and it seems that Jesus developed a friendship with Martha and Mary, and then they had a brother named Lazarus. Now, you might recognize that, some of you remember. In John chapter 11, uh, Jesus comes to the house where uh, Martha and Mary's house and Lazarus because Lazarus has died. Okay, so you might might remember remember that story, okay? This is the same group of people here. Uh, It seems that Jesus has some type of friendship with this household. And here, we have this situation where we, we have two sisters. Two sisters, uh, Martha being most likely the older one, Mary being the younger one. And we have two different approaches to Jesus being in the house. Now, a lot of times when people look at this text, they're, they're looking at the text and they're saying, okay, go and be uh, a Mary, don't be a Martha. Okay, In fact, books have been written, uh, How to Have a Mary's Heart in a Martha World, I think is a term, uh, is a title of one book. Okay, I, I don't believe I've read it, but uh, you know... The title kind of speaks for itself right there, like to putting these two women in different categories. I will say this, though, that Martha's problem here was not her busyness or service, okay? When you look at this text, don't make the mistake to look at it and say, ah, you see, she's just so busy. We should be so busy. That was the problem. That wasn't the problem. That wasn't the problem that Martha had because, how do I know that? Because serving is good. We're, we're commanded to serve. We're commanded to work. Hey, think about Jesus Christ, Was he not busy on earth? Do you think that he had a busy schedule? Of course he did. And there was times he retreated, of course, for rest and things. But the Bible talks about when it describes Jesus' earthly ministry, what's described for us is a very, very busy man, right? And so business isn't necessarily bad, right? Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about this in adult discipleship hour for the men's class a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we were created for something. Does everybody remember what we were created for? What does it say? Yeah, good works, right? We're created for good works, okay? We're not created for idleness. We're created to be busy for the Lord, okay? And again, there's extremes, and we're going to get into that. But I just want to point out the fact that, that Mary, or excuse me, Martha, her problem wasn't necessarily that she was busy or that she was serving, right? Colossians chapter 3 is another text. Titus chapter 3, Titus 3 says this, let, us, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cares of the urgent and not be unfruitful. Even the metaphor of being fruitful in the scriptures. John, he talks about that in his gospel too. That we're to bear fruit. Well, that, that, that means we've got to be busy. That means we've got to do something okay? So I'm just trying to point out that that this idea of of having responsibilities, having work, that's not necessarily the problem. That wasn't Martha's problem. We're told to work six days, rest one day. That's a busy week. And I will tell you this, it wasn't a job change to fewer hours when God told Noah to build an ark, okay? I mean, his work week increased. His workload increased. So the whole point is this, is that the problem is not being busy. In fact, I will argue this, okay? Ironically, when we list busyness as our fundamental problem in life, it actually shows a certain laziness in analysis and thinking, okay? I'll say it again. When we list busyness as our fundamental problem in life, it shows laziness in our analysis and thinking, because it's not necessarily a problem to be busy. Okay, now you're saying, Jeremy, I, uh, this sounds different than what I've heard before. I mean, I've heard sermons like, you know, don't be too busy and things like that. I would agree with that. I would agree. But you have to understand this. Sermons are preached for specific groups of people in specific groups of time, Okay. Right now, you'll say, well, of course, we're one of the most busy societies in all the world. I would agree with that. But I would agree that that's not fundamentally our biggest problem in this. All societies have been busy. You go back into an, agri- or an agricultural society, agrarian society, farming, things like that, they had long work weeks, right? They had long work days. They are busy, right? So if Martha's problem Was not primarily that she was busy or her service. What was her problem? Well, here's the problem. Martha's problem was that her busyness for Jesus distracted her from Jesus. Okay? Catch that. Martha's problem was that her busyness for Jesus distracted her from Jesus. That's the problem. And that's what Jesus addresses here. Okay? And this is part of the issue here. Now, how do I know that she got distracted by Jesus? Well, The text is really clear, okay? Verse 40, it says, uh, that was already read to us, but Martha was distracted, was much serving, and she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve me alone? Tell her to help me. Okay, interesting uh, conversation here that Martha has with Jesus. I, I say that she was distracted. Well, what does this look like in the scriptures? Well, if we start parsing out, martha and how she communicated here obviously we see that there was some self-pity there right can't you see this i'm doing all this work and my sister she's not doing anything right one of the things i love about the bible is it's is so real right i mean if you have children or if you're a sibling right okay you know this feeling well when you're working and your sibling is slacking Okay, you know that now. How many of you in your system, in your, your system of family, whatever, growing up with your siblings or even the children you have, how many have ever experienced this? It's like you know, you walk into a room, one child's working really hard, the other child's not, and you say, "Hey, how come you're not helping?" And the one child says, "Oh, they needed a break, and they I am working for them, Father. You know, I am so grateful to bear this burden for my sibling here, right?" you know? Actually, that's not what happens. The reason why you got, you're in the room is because you got called in the room by the other sibling saying, hey, tell them to help out. They're not helping out, right? Okay, so this is, this is the problem here. Sibling rivalry here. There's this self-pity here that Martha is showing, like, can't you see? Well, then it goes into resentment. She's resenting Mary here in this she's it's just coming out it's oozing out of the story here and then if that's not bad enough there's anger right and irritation and notice who she's irritated with first of all she's irritated with her sister okay that's obvious okay she's irritated with her sister okay, some of you are saying, you know, yep, sisters are annoying, I get it, okay, all right, all right, you know, some of you kids here, okay, you know, don't take that as the way the sermon, okay, all right, I'm looking around here for all the kids in the room, that's not the takeaway, okay, all right, that your sister's annoying, okay, but I will say this is that Martha was really irritated with her, she was irritated with her sister, but who else was Martha irritated with in this context? Her Savior, Jesus, she's irritated with with Mary, and then she's irritated with Jesus. Like, tell her then to help me. Do you not care, right? Now, as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about this, I thought there's a text in Scripture of Matthew chapter 22, right? Matthew 22, and the story goes there, is that there is an expert in the law, okay? Um, And when you hear that, um, don't think about it as a lawyer in the sense that we think about it. It was an expert in the moral code and the Torah, and the law of the Hebrew Scriptures, okay? And so there's an expert who came up to Jesus one day and says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Now, he does this not because he's wanting to be taught by Jesus. In the context, it's very clear what he's doing is he's trying to trap Jesus, okay, is what he's doing. But he asked Jesus this question. He says, what is the greatest commandment, okay? Matthew 22, verse 38 to 40, says this. It says, Verse 36 through 30, I think it is. But he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and great commandment. But then Jesus says, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Found all these things hang the law and the prophets. I'm going to come back to that text here later on here. But I will say this, is that um, uh, Martha's attitude here, is she loving God with all the heart, soul, and mind? Is she loving her neighbor and her sister as herself? No. Why? Because her busyness for her Savior was distracting her away from all of his teaching. All of what he wanted, all of his values, all of what he had said was most important. And the answer to the question was the most important law. Those things, her busyness in serving him was distracting her from him. That's the problem. That's the fundamental problem here. It leads to accusation. At least the accusation in the sense that, um, uh, uh, that she says, do you not care? So she's accusing here. So what Martha's revealing to us is it's is, 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 is acutely possible for every Christian that service for Jesus can distract us from Jesus. So for all of you who are serving in the church here, we're so grateful for your ministers. we got people in the sound booth, and, and I, I didn't bring it up here. Maybe I have it with me here, but every week I have a printout of uh all yeah here it is i have a printout uh order of service here right here and we have our announcements on here we checked them all off today no problem microphone didn't cut out because wayne learned how to hold a microphone so um so we have all this stuff here okay um we have the songs and everything but on the back here i have listed all the people who are serving during this time right okay and it's just a way for keeping track and organizing people and stuff like this you know what i do with this i pray for people okay I take this to pray for this. But, you know, so I look, okay, we got the preacher, Jeremy Scott. I'm glad I remembered that today, okay? All right, sermon text reader was Wendy. Wayne did the announcements. We had the music. Carol, Stephanie, we had Katie on drums. We have Rob. We have a Nook on the piano, right? Uh, AV, we have the slides. We have Joe. We have Tom doing live stream. We have Josh doing the soundboard. Down in nursery, Brenda and Dana and Barbara. We've got children's church ministry going on, Anne Marie. We've got uh, Lord's Supper preparation, David, and he's going to help serve this. We have greeters. We have offering counters. We have a whole bunch of people listed here, okay, on this piece of paper. And I am grateful for every one of you, and I pray for you. And I'm so thankful. Here's my admonition. Don't let your service distract you from Jesus. Okay? Don't let getting uh, a sermon ready distract you from Jesus. Don't let a Sunday school class, getting ready for that, distract you from Him. The music is so important, and we do such a great job with With what we have here, we're so grateful. But don't let that distract you from him. See, that was Martha's problem, she was so busy getting the house ready, getting everything accomplished, checking things off, that she forgot about who she was serving. I tell you all the time, I preach sermons I need to hear, I am a task-driven person right? And I, tell, I told the, the, the guys in Adult Discipleship Hour today, you got to pray for me just like anyone else, that I don't get so busy and distracted or, or so busy doing things that I get distracted from Jesus, all right? We're all susceptible to it. This is what Martha's revealing to us in this text today. Maybe some of you need this. It's not so much that you're too busy. It's just that what you're doing in life is taking your focus off Jesus. We need to be busy, but it can't be at the expense of seeing our Savior for who He is. So how do we fix this problem, right? Some people withdraw, right? Some people say, okay, I'm not going to do things anymore, and they withdraw, which is sometimes needed, right? Sabbath rest is commanded in the Scriptures. Some people say, okay, I'm just going to binge watch Netflix, <laughs> All right? I'm just going to binge watch this, you know, this TV show or whatever, um, I'm going to watch a football game. Or, and there's nothing wrong with this, right? Nothing wrong with this. Everyone, there's nothing wrong with relaxing to a good show and maybe a bowl of popcorn, as long as you put butter and salt on it. Otherwise, you're eating styrofoam. But, uh, um, you know, some of us, speaking of food, some of us turn to food and drink, which is fine in moderation, right? Not, but none of these are long-term solutions to living a grounded life in a crazy world and being busy, Right? okay? So how do we fix this problem? Mary gives us another way, a better way. And what Mary does is that she reminds us of the joy of discipleship. This is what Mary reminds us of. And so for the next few minutes, this is what I want to talk about. So the joy of discipleship. Well, let me just define this term for a second here, because sometimes we use terms that you're like, okay, what was that one again? Okay, disciple. Disciple, it comes from a Greek word, which means a learner or a follower. Okay, So that's why we have like the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. These were the 12 guys that Jesus specifically called out and said, hey, I want you to follow me. Right? Isn't that what he said? Remember, come follow me. And so people would follow him. So that's why they're known as the disciples. So it was like a big D, it's a title, the disciples. And really though, all of us, in actuality, all of us should be disciples. All of us should be learners and followers of Jesus Christ. And this is what Mary is teaching us here. Mary is teaching us that there's a joy associated with being a disciple or discipleship here, okay? And how do we know this? Because Mary, she absolutely valued being Jesus' disciple here. How do I know this? How do I know this in the text? Well, a lot of us are implicit in the text. It says that Martha, she welcomed Jesus into her house, which was really good. She had a sister of Mary who sat, I'm in verse 39 of our text, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. We have a lady here of Mary who is taking advantage of the fact that Jesus was in her house. Now, it seems that Mary actually was helping Martha in the beginning because did you notice what Martha said? Do you not care? I'm in verse 40 do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Okay. So it it seems that Martha and Mary were serving together. They were getting things together. Jesus begins his teaching and Mary says, okay, we've got enough of the preparations done. I'm going to sit down and listen to Jesus here. It appears that this is kind of how it unfolded here. So Mary, she's valuing the fact that she's Jesus's discipleness. She's taking advantage of the fact that the master teacher, her savior is in her house. And so, she got what needed to be done, and now she's just sitting down and can't wait. Now, she's, how do I know that she's valuing being a disciple? because she's sitting at his feet. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, you got to understand, in this context, in this culture, this was a term that was reserved for people who were sitting at the feet of the rabbi or were learning from the rabbi. It would have been someone who would have been an actual disciple of a rabbi. It says that they would sit at their feet. In fact, in the book of Acts, we see the same phrase used about a master teacher called Gamaliel. And so this would have been understood that when Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, this is not necessarily like a servant role position. This means that she was sitting there learning as a disciple. Now, why that's significant is that in this day, And in this culture where Luke chapter 10 is found, women were not ever a disciple of a rabbi. They weren't. But Mary is a disciple. She says, I have the opportunity to be a disciple. I'm going to take advantage of it. I don't care what else has to happen. I'm going to sit at my Savior's feet and learn from the master teacher here. And so there's a, there's a story that happens above this, right before this, and we didn't take time to read through it, but it's a parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? And some of you are familiar with it. Basically, Jesus is telling a story to teach the truth about who a neighbor is, and we have a lot of uh, racial themes and things like that going through it, and, and he's dealing with this, with this tension between uh, the Hebrews and uh, the Samaritans, and that's one of the things he's dealing with there. So in that text, he's dealing with racism in, in some ways. If he's dealing with that there, in our text, he's dealing with sexism. And what he's saying is, he's saying, by by virtue of this, is Jesus is saying, you can be my disciple. He's saying it to a woman who would not have had an opportunity in any other way. He says, you can be my disciple. So let me say this to you. You can be Jesus' disciple. Let me rephrase it. You can be Jesus' disciple. See, that's how we need to hear it. We need to hear it like, me? Really? I can be a disciple of Jesus. I get to sit at his feet. You see, it's not about busyness. It's not about craziness. It's about priorities, It's about how we're seeing things, about how we see what God has given to us and the opportunities that he's given to us. The reality that God has made it possible for you and for me to be a disciple of Jesus Christ with all of our sin, with all of our baggage, with all the things that, it, that would scream why we shouldn't be, when we shouldn't have that honor, that ought to really give us goosebumps, right? When we think that I get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I get to learn from him. I get to be part of his followers. So the question is, if Mary is valuing, and I hope that I've argued that, that Mary is valued being Jesus' disciple, the question comes then, okay, how do we do it? Now, now let's get practical, Jeremy. Maybe you're thinking, okay, theoretically that's good. But practically speaking, how is it that we're supposed to value being a disciple so we have this joy of discipleship, so that even in the midst of busyness, I can live a grounded life, okay? How does this work? I mean, great theory, it's good, but how does it work? Well, a lot of times, the typical response, which contains a lot of truth to it, is that uh, um, we, we talk about, well, okay, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, and you to go to church, now again, I am arguing that yes, you need to do all three of those things. Okay, so please, whatever I'm about to say next, please do not hear anything different. You need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to come to church. Got it, class? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. You need to do those things. They're all good. Here's the thing. When you're talking to a busy person, you're talking to someone who's stressed out, what they hear when you say that is you've got to add more to the checklist to do and I think it's because it's we're looking at this differently or wrongly see what busy what grounded but busy but grounded people what they do is they reorient their thinking and their approach to life their whole thinking their whole approach to life is completely different and I think Mary shows us this so let me explain most people when they think of life's priorities how they're going to spend their time what they're going to do they think of it in terms of like a list, okay? So I put 10 things up here. You start with God, of course, right? Okay? God, okay? Family, church, you know, Michigan football or basketball, Muya burgers. I mean, we're talking about life's most important things here, okay? All right, and we make this priority list, right? And we think, okay, how are we going to divide our time? And how are we going to put our emphasis in our life? And, of course, God has to be first and so we can give this to God. And then our families are second priority. churches is final, And then you can list it from on and on. But what I would suggest is that there's, there's a fundamental problem with this. It's like how do, we, how do we actually practically do this? So, like, how much of our percentage of our time do we give to God? You say, well, I can't give him everything because, you know, I have to eat. Okay. Okay, so do you give 60%? Do you give 50%? Do you give? Is As long as it's the majority, is it he's the number one priority? But if he slips to 40%, he's no longer the number one priority. So with the sleeping count, like how do you actually live this out? I mean, this is good on paper, but how do we actually live it out? What I want to suggest is that the Bible presents life's priority in a much different way. Now, I told you I was going to come back to a text of Scripture. Do I remember what it was? Remember what it was? It was Matthew, Matthew 22, okay? Maybe one of you got it. Can't remember. All right, Matthew twenty-two. All right, this is the text I talked about earlier. Matthew twenty-two, teacher, which is a great commandment in the law, and he said to them, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it: you should love your neighbors yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What you need to understand this is that this is the way for us to make our priorities in a busy life. Okay. This is what, how God's given us right here, what we're supposed to do. The first commandment, what you need to understand about this, is it enables the second commandment. We cannot do the second commandment of loving our neighbor ourselves unless we're loving God first. Okay? Just can't do it. Okay? So the first commandment enables the second commandment. And then the other thing you need to understand is that the second commandment then proves the existence of obedience to the first commandment. So if I'm actually loving my neighbor as myself then I know that it's only through God's strength and through a love of God, that I know the first commandment is possible. They say, well, do you see this in another place? Yeah, James. In the book of James, he talks about something. He says, if you want to fulfill the royal law of Scripture, he says, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He does not mention this first commandment. James does not. Now, is that because he didn't think it was important? Does, is it because he thought that it's not important to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Of course not. Of course not. What he was saying there is that he was saying i know that if you love your neighbors yourself it's because you love god you can't do it without it so this is how we prioritize our lives here the second commandment assumes the first one what i would like to do is taking the principles that are found in this text of scripture is i want to give you a different way of looking at this okay of life's priorities again we're talking about mary teaching us the joy of discipleship okay and this is coming out a very practical way that we do this. Instead of a list, okay, I'm proposing what's called, and I'm not the first one to do this, right? But uh, what, what, I'm turning, what I'm calling the theocentric life. Theo, meaning word for God, centric, center, the theocentric life. And here's how we diagram it, okay? So I didn't put Muya up there because I should have, but I didn't. But so this is what it looks like. Instead of a list, okay? of I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to prioritize this, and I'm going to prioritize this. What you have to understand is what Martha, excuse me, what Mary is teaching us is that her love of God, her love of Jesus, was informing all of what she was doing. Okay, that, this is the joy of discipleship. So rather than me looking at, okay, I want to honor God with my life, and now I want to honor God in my work, and now I want to honor God in this, I understand this, is that we love God. And then out of a love of God is how we work. Out of our love of God is our hobbies, how we enjoy things. All of this then is instead of going down a checklist, what we're doing is we're saying that a love for God based on Matthew 22 has to inform everything that we do in all that we do. So you look at your schedule. The busy person, okay? And again, part of the problem with this is the reason why I took this angle at it, because I could have told you about evaluate your time, get rid of things that aren't important. I could have done all that, right? You know that, okay? What I'm trying to do is I want you to look at your schedule and instead of saying, I need to get rid of this and get rid of that, maybe you do, okay? Maybe you do. But instead of starting there, I want you to look at what you have and say, okay, how with, with my responsibilities at, with the PTA committee, with my responsibilities at work, my responsibilities at home, whatever it is, how is that supposed to come out of my love for God rather than in addition to it, okay? So how does you loving Jesus Christ supremely, how will that inform then how you parent your kids? How will that inform your work tomorrow when you go to work? How will that then make it so or or shape the conversations you have with your friends, with the entertainment that you choose to watch, with how you spend your time in recreation? All these things. This is what Mary I think is helpful in is that she was saying my priority is loving Jesus here and that means I'm going to serve some, but that means I'm going to listen some. Martha, what she was doing, she was so busy on all the distractions, all the other things, is that she lost sight of her love for her Savior. I hope this makes sense. And so what I hope you do is I hope that you look at all the things in your to-do list, all the responsibilities that you have, and start asking questions. Okay, how do I express my love for God through this activity? And if you can't come up with a reason, get rid of it. Or a possibility, what i would say is you can start looking at okay i've got this responsibility here i can show my love of christ my love of the father through this i can i can work hard i can have a good attitude at work i can take on you know be a servant to other people all of it because you're serving christ not the boss when we do the chores around the house or mow the lawn Whatever it is, instead of just being, okay, it's a task that I have to get done, you know, it's, I'm trying to do it between rain, you know, and stuff like this. It's like, I get to care for creation. I get to tend the garden that God told Adam to do. I get to do this. And I get to look at the beauty around as I'm mowing it. I'm listening to a sermon or whatever while I'm mowing the lawn and everything. All this, All of a sudden, it becomes more than just i got to get this lawn mowed, to this is an opportunity to worship God and to It's a fulfill responsibilities given to me. Do you see how this works? This works with everything, with everything you do. This is why I believe that Mary's helpful in pointing us towards, is embracing the joy of discipleship. So my hope is that you begin to avoid the danger of distraction. That's my prayer for this sermon today, that instead of allowing a busy schedule to distract you, You actually allow the things on your to do list to renew your joy of discipleship. That these are opportunities for you to worship. All that we do is worship. By the way, tangent here, side note, okay, not in the notes, this is free, okay? Is that worship is more than singing. Okay? Right? I've I've had a subtle, covert plan for nine and a half years, and it's not always worked well. And that is to change how we talk about music here so you say who's on worship team this week you know what my answer to that is we all are <laughs> all right we're all the worship team right okay they're on the music team because you don't want me playing music but you want me worshiping okay um everything we do this is the reason why we say worship in the lord in scripture reading worship the lord in music worship the lord uh, even through giving announcements worship the lord in uh, uh the lord's supper all the worship the lord in preaching every part of what we're doing here is an effort to try to worship god so it's not just music the same is true with your life all of what you're doing is supposed to be worship and what mark what mary is teaching us here she's reminding us that there's a joy associated with discipleship it's not a burden it's not a list that you have to accomplish these are providentially provided ways for you to show worship and glory, give glory to God throughout your life each and every day through a busy schedule. Here's the good news. Martha gets it in the end. She gets it in the end. How do I know this? John chapter 11. There's a story there. I mentioned it a minute ago and I'm bringing this too close. Jesus goes to his friend's house. He's summoned there. He says, hey, our brother's dying. Mary and Martha get a message to Jesus saying, our brother Lazarus, he's really sick. I won't get into all the details of why, but Jesus is delayed in getting there. He doesn't get there on time. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. You know what John 11 records? When Jesus is coming up there, someone meets him. Someone leaves the funeral in the morning. Remember, morning went on for days in this culture, okay? Leaves all of that. Leaves all of the care of caring for the guest in the morning and all that. Leaves all of that and meets her Savior on the road as he's approaching. Who was it? It wasn't Mary. It was Martha. She got it in the end. She can leave the food behind. She can leave all that because right now the priority was Christ. And she wasn't going to let anything distract her in that moment from Christ. In fact, she gives one of the best declarations of Christ's deity, second only maybe to the Apostle Peters. She just tells him, you are the Christ, the Son of God. She got it in the end. And so what I would say this is that she got that while she was still serving and busy, she was no longer distracted from her Savior because first and foremost... She was a disciple. And that's what I hope you take away today, that you can be a disciple. And you say, yeah, maybe some of you, you, you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for many years, and I just want you to have a renewed awe of that today. Maybe there's someone here today, and you say, I, I, I'm not a disciple, or I don't even know what you're talking about, Jeremy. I would love for the opportunity to explain this more. But I will say this, just real quickly in passing. The Bible says we all have a problem called sin. And sin separates us from God. And God sent Jesus Christ to take care of that problem. He lived a life of perfect obedience that we could never live, perfectly fulfilling all that was required. And then he died to death that he did not have to die. Because the Bible says the payment of sin is death. Back in the garden, Jesus or God had told Adam and Eve, Don't eat of this fruit, of this one tree, because if you do, you will die. Death is going to enter in. And so Jesus, he died when he didn't have to. He's the only one ever to walk this face of the earth who did not have to die, and yet he chose to die. Why? So that if we believed in him, if we ask him for our salvation, he will give it to us. The Bible is very clear about this. I would love to talk to you more about it if you don't know this, right? But for those of us who, who, who have this understanding, you get to be a disciple. Now go and be a disciple. In your busyness, you probably need to get rid of some stuff, but before you do it, just look at how you can use that busy schedule in terms of worship rather than self-pity, resentment, anger, and accusation.